Do you mind if I take the music stand? Well, let's continue our study in the Gospel according to Mark. Uh, and we are in Mark chapter 2 tonight, verses um, 1 through 12. And I have it printed on that page in front of you if you uh, care to look at that. Let me invite you to hear God's Word. And when Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the Word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, My son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes who were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins... He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose, and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. And then this is God's word. Let's look to him in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. And uh, we pray that it would enlighten our eyes, that it would make wise the simple, that it would bring joy to the heart, uh, that we would um, eat it like honey and find it to be sweet like honey from the honeycomb, and that it would, it would delight us, that it would revive us, that it would give us uh, knowledge of your Son. Lift Jesus before our eyes, let us see him, and... Um, Help us to hunger and thirst for what he offers us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever noticed how you can see the same thing as somebody else and yet draw completely opposite conclusions? Um, You remember the kid's story, Charlotte's Web, and how the Zuckermans come down and find this web with... uh, you know, the spider having written in it about the pig. And uh, they're looking at this, this, uh, this web with writing in it. And Mr. Zuckerman says, some pig. While Mrs. Zuckerman says to him, um, it seems to me we have no ordinary spider. Okay. They, they, they see the same thing, but they draw, they draw different conclusions uh, about it. Uh, from tonight on in the Gospel of Mark, there are going to be two polar opposite camps witnessing the same events, the same work and miracle and teaching 
of Jesus. And some are going to see it and grow angry, and others are going to see it with awe and reverence. And uh, so tonight I want us to think about this passage and what Jesus does with this paralytic man. And I want you to see what he does and what he offers, and, and I want you to think about how you respond to Jesus in light of who he is. Um, he's going to challenge us, he's going to comfort us, and he's going to call us. And so uh, look with me at verses 1 to 5 uh, in the first place. Jesus challenges us with the priority of forgiveness. Here's this paralyzed man, right? His family and friends will stop at nothing to get him to Jesus. And because they can't get into the house because of the crowds, they go up on the roof and they dig through the roof. And this is a typical uh, Middle Eastern home. It would have had um, plugs of grass and straw covered in layers of mud and sticks. And so they're digging through all this dirt. And you can imagine being inside that room as the ceiling begins to break open and dirt begins to drop down in the crowd. Everybody kind of pushes to the sides of the room. And it gets <laughs> wide enough that they, they drop down through that hole on his mat, a paralytic man. I mean, they lower him down, <laughs> um, gently, of course. And, um, and what do they want? They want him to be healed. They, they believe that Jesus can heal the man. They want him healed. The man wants to get up and walk. And Jesus looks at the man and says to him, My son, your sins are forgiven. And the man is probably thinking, we can sort of assume anyway, what you and I might have been thinking, which is, um, thank you, but that's not why I'm here. I have a more immediate problem. I, I want to be healed. And Jesus says, you don't have a more immediate problem than this. Uh, I want you to know the main problem of your life, which you don't know. And... Um, and so uh, Jesus exposes to all of us that healing our sin is more important than healing our suffering. And uh, so Jesus is making all of us think, you are not supposed to conclude uh, in this passage that his physical problems uh, are caused by some sin. And so that Jesus has to forgive the man of sin so that he can become well. Uh, this is not one of those examples of uh, physical illness being brought about by human sin or evil. It can, it can, gluttony can bring on all kinds of problems, right? Too much alcohol can bring on long-term physical consequences, Uh um, I don't know if you've ever experienced, like I have, um, depression coming on uh, over the guilt of some sin. Uh, you're having, your body's having a, an emotional uh, depression, a mental depression, because you feel ashamed or guilty and it wears you out. Sin can bring about physical effects because your soul and your body are integrated. But it's not always that sin brings about illness, and it's not always that all illness can be tied to some sin. And in fact, it's cruel to tell people, oh, you're sick, you must have done something wrong, something really immoral, which some people will do. 
They'll say that. Or they'll say this. Oh, you're sick. Well, if you weren't so weak in faith, you wouldn't be sick. Just believe more in Jesus and all will be well. Or they will say, uh, oh, you're sick, then you've got a demon. Uh, I've had friends. And what we can only hope are well-intentioned Christians asking, can I try to drive out a demon from you because of this illness you're in? Look, it's cruel to tell people those things, that these must be tied to some kind of sin. And by the way, you never see... um, old people in those churches that teach the problem with your illness is you don't have enough faith. Jesus doesn't say that to this man. That's not what he's driving at when he says your sin is forgiven. He's not saying straighten up your life and God will straighten up your body. Look, everybody who's paralyzed wants to walk and it's not wrong to want that. But it's possible this man had placed his hopes in that to such a degree that Jesus is coming alongside and saying, you have a deeper problem. I want to handle that first. He may have been saying something like this. If I could only walk again, then my life would be right. I'd be happy. I'd be content. And Jesus may be saying to him, you're mistaken. You know how this works in your experience? I mean, Jesus saying to this this man something like this. Um, when I heal you, the first thing you're going to do is what? You're going to be euphoric. You're going to leap for joy. You're going to run. You're going to be delighted. But two months from now or four months from now, you'll be unhappy again. It'll just be something else. Because getting what you really want and soon isn't always enough. And it doesn't last. Um, There's a writer in New York City who writes for um, uh, the, I think it's The Village, uh, named Cynthia um, Himmel, who she's known a bunch of struggling actors and actresses because they all work in, you know, restaurants around town. And she had, she's had three uh, friends of whom this, this, this was true. She says, when they were struggling people, like all of us, looking up and saying, if only I had that, then my life would be fine. Okay, if, if only I could walk, or if only I could make it in the business, you know, and get a job as an actor, uh, then I'd be fine. And she says, well, they were like the rest of us when they were struggling then. They were stressed, kind of driven, got a little bit angry, but, but she says, when they actually got the deepest desire of their heart, they became awful unstable, angry, erratic, manic. She doesn't think that they just became arrogant, but that they became unhappy. She goes on to say this, I pity celebrities. I do. Celebrities who were once perfectly pleasant human beings, but now their wrath is awful. You see, they wanted fame, and they worked, and they pushed, And the morning after each one of them became famous, however, they wanted to take an overdose. Because that giant thing they were striving for, she says, that thing that was going to make everything okay, that was going to make their lives bearable, that was going to provide them with personal fulfillment and happiness, happened. And they were still them. 
The disillusionment, she says, turned them howling and insufferable. And so she's sorry for them. They've gotten, she's saying, the one thing that they really wanted and thought it would make everything okay, the one thing they thought would make them happy, and then it didn't. And you know what Jesus may be saying to this man? I'm not going to give you what you have as your deepest wish until it is no longer your deepest wish. Here's what the Bible is saying to all of us. That our deepest problem is that, we've all, that we are all building our identity on something besides Jesus. We're looking at something and saying, if I had that, then everything will be okay. I'll be content when I have 20 friends. I'll be content when I have a boyfriend. I'll be content when I have a girlfriend. I'll be content when my boyfriend or girlfriend gets engaged with me. I'll be content when I get a raise. I'll be content when I get straight A's. I'll be content when I get into grad school. I'll be content when there are 100 people at RUF, but not till then. Well, that's what your campus minister is tempted to say, right? I'll be content when. But when we are doing that, we're saying, when I have that, then I'll be significant, then I'll be safe, then I'll be secure. We're looking at those things to save us. Those things that are becoming our savior. Our deepest problem is that we have other saviors. And as long as we don't get them, we're a little bit angry, not quite happy. But if we do get them, then we're even more empty, more unhappy, because we realize the thing that we so wanted, hoped, and chased can't come through for us. And Jesus is saying to all of us, I am the only savior. That if you get me, will fulfill you. And if you fail me, I will forgive you. So we go, to his, we go to him and we say, this is my problem. And Jesus says, no, that's not your problem, really. I have a different priority for you. And so what I want to say to you is it's possible that what your heart most wants is what's messing you up the most. So many of our prayers are asking for things that if we got them would ruin us. And what needs to happen is we need to have a big change. You know the name Eustace Clarence Scrubs? Anybody know the story of the Voyage of the Dawn Treader? It's one of C.S. Lewis Chronicles of Narnia stories. Eustace Clarence Scrubs is this kid that everyone hates, and he hates everybody. He's this miserable kid who finds himself on a boat. And at one point, he gets pulled into the island. He finds a cave, and in the cave, he finds that it's filled with treasure, rubies, diamonds, gold. And he says, I'm rich! Now I'm going to be able to pay back everybody. People who laughed at me. People who picked at me. I'll pay them back. And then he falls asleep on the treasure. But what he doesn't know is that it's the treasure of a dragon and that when you fall asleep on the greedy dragonous, with greedy dragonous thoughts in your heart, you wake up as a dragon. A big, ugly, horrible terrible dragon and so that's what happens and as time wears on he realizes that there is no way out he has no escape he can't go back on the boat he can't become a boy he's going to be ugly and alone for the rest of his life and then one day the great lion Aslan comes along shows up and leads him to a clear pool of water and says undress and jump in 
And suddenly Eustace realizes, okay, undress, take off the dragon skin. And he begins to gnaw and claw at himself, and he peels off a layer of dragon skin. He begins to work at it, and, and then he becomes disillusioned. Because underneath that dragon skin is more dragon skin. And then Aslan tells him, do it again. So he does it again. He tries a second time. He tries a third time. And finally, the lion says, you're going to have to let me do it. And here's Eustace's words. I was afraid of his claws. I can tell you. But I was pretty nearly desperate now. So the very first tear he made went so deep, I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off. And just as I thought I'd done it myself before the other three times, only they hadn't hurt. And there it was, lying in the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the others had been. And then he threw me into the pool, and it smarted like anything, but only for a moment. And then I saw that I had become a boy again. Jesus, okay, what's the point of that? We don't need a little help. We need a help that cuts right to the heart. We need to be healed at the heart, at the core. Jesus has to cut right to the heart and change the main thing about our heart because our heart is what is screwing us up. What your heart wants most is what's killing you. And Jesus doesn't give this paralytic... He doesn't just give him what he's after, not at first. Because this man's greatest need is to have his sin handled by a Savior. And that's your greatest need. And so forgiveness is more important than healing, Jesus is saying, because sin is more problematic than illness. And that's a challenge to us about the priority of forgiveness. Do you believe that's the most important thing that you and anybody else need? Now, the second thing is, is the comfort, verse 5 to 7. Jesus comforts us with free forgiveness. He says to him, after he says, uh, he says to him, you're forgiven. You're released. You're free. I'm not holding your sin against you, is what he's saying to him. Now, verse 7, the, the scribes and the Pharisees begin to think to, himself, think to themselves, he's blaspheming, right? Who can forgive sins but God alone? What is he, claiming to be God? Okay, they begin to grow angry in their hearts um, that he's claiming to be God. Well, give them credit. That is exactly what Jesus is claiming. By forgiving sin, he, he's claiming to be deity. And that is blasphemy. So they get that right. It's blasphemy if you aren't God, but claim to be God. Now, why, why, why do they draw that conclusion about Jesus? By him saying, your sins are forgiven. Well, look, if, if, you know, Larry, Curly, and Moe walk into this room and Larry punches Curly and Moe goes up to Larry and says, I forgive you, okay? What's Curly going to think? You can't forgive him. He hit me, right? You can only forgive, in other words, the sin that is against you. And Jesus walks up to this man and says, your sins are forgiven. What is he telling you? He's telling you that everything you've done, you've done against me. Only your creator could say this. He's claiming to be God Almighty. And they know it. And they get it. And they want to 
kill him for claiming to be God. That will be the theme of the rest of the Gospel of Mark. You want to know why God is offended and must forgive when we sin against one another? Not just because he told us not to, and so we're being disobedient to him. There is that. He's the king, and we ought, he ought to be obeyed. But, but there's also this. We're made in his image. I mean, what would you think of me if I downloaded a picture of you from Facebook, and I enlarged it, and I carried it around with me, folded up in my pocket, and every now and then I took that out, opened it up, and I yelled at it, spat on it, dropped it on the ground, rubbed my foot in it, poured dirt on it, jabbed it with needles, crumpled it up, then straightened it back out and put it back in my pocket and did it again later in the day. What would you, what would you think? Besides thinking, that's really crazy, there's something mentally wrong with you, you'd think to yourself at some point, what's he got against me? Unless you're a robot, you'd take it personally, in other words. And what I'm saying to you is this, God takes it personally when we, when we mistreat others who are made in his image, even when we mistreat ourselves made in his image. So I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you to just, I want to deal with one area of your life tonight in terms of getting you to think about your sin, and that is the way that you use your mouth. Do you ever mock people? Do you ever belittle them to their face or behind their back? Do you ever destroy the reputation of somebody you don't even know? Do you gossip about your neighbors to your roommate or your roommate to your neighbors? Do you ever lie to people? Do you ever look somebody right in the face and tell them a lie? Do you ever scream at people? Or, to spite them, refuse to speak to them? James, in his book, puts it this way about our words. The tongue is a fire, a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come cursing and blessing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so, says James. So when you hurt yourself and others with your words or with your body, however you do it, you offend God in whose likeness people are made. And you need to be forgiven, not just by the person you offend, but by God who made them. And Jesus is here saying to you, I am your God, and I am offended by your sin, but I am willing to forgive you. Ask me. Just ask me, and I will. But maybe you're saying, but you don't know what I've done. (laughs) It's so bad, I could never be forgiven. Jesus is saying to you, I know what you've done. I made you, I've watched you your entire life, and I knew what you would do when I went to the cross to die for sin. You have no sin so big I can't handle. Just ask me, and I'll forgive you. But you're saying, well, my sin is so fresh. I've only been in Fayetteville a month, and I've done things already that I swore I would never do. And I'm a Christian, and I ought to know better. It's too soon for me to be forgiven, you say to yourself. I'll wait until God gets over it. Now, what you're really saying, if you're saying that, is that you believe forgiveness is by time lapse and not by atonement. 
that God just needs a little time to get over it, and maybe you do too, and that it'll all be well. Instead of God needed to crush his son, but did so willingly in order for you and he to be right. Look, don't try to put in a few weeks to get over your failures. God doesn't get over them that way. But he was willing to crush his son for you so that you could be forgiven. This is what Jesus is like. Jesus is saying to us, I'm merciful and gracious. Psalm 103. God is merciful and gracious. And Jesus is God. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And I do not deal with you according to your sins or repay you according to your iniquities. But as far as the east is from the west, so far do I remove your transgressions from you. Now think about that. As far as the east is from the west. You know if that Jesus has said so far as the north is from the south. You in your mind's eye would have thought of a globe. And you would have done one of these. North to south. South to north. North to south. South to north. It's a lot of miles. But I just keep coming back to it. But when Jesus said as far as the east is from the west. And you start heading east on a globe. You circle that globe and you keep heading east. You never get to west. Jesus is saying, as far as the east is from the west, keep circling, keep circling, keep going. That's how far I remove your sins from you. What Jesus did for this man is what he offers to you freely. You don't have to impress him to get it. You can't impress him to get it. He's more willing to freely forgive you than you are to ask him for forgiveness. And there's comfort in that. But though it's free to you, do not imagine for a second that it isn't costly. It's going to cost Jesus everything. And that's the last thing I want you to see. As Jesus calls us to tender heartedness over the cost of forgiveness. It is right here, as I said in the book of Mark, that opposition begins to rise against Jesus by religious leaders. Right in the face of his compassion on this man who he heals, they harden their hearts And from now on, they're going to be angry with Jesus. These are proud men saying something like this. Who are you to forgive sin? And who am I that I should need to be forgiven by you? The scribes apparently here at this house are beginning a fact-finding mission to get the goods on Jesus. And everything escalates from here. So if you go down in your Bible to to verse 16, they begin to challenge the disciples. And in verse 18, they begin to challenge Jesus about his disciples. And in chapter 3, verse 6, they hold counsel together about how to destroy Jesus. Now Jesus knows all this. And up till now, no human has opposed him in his ministry. But from here on, they're going to seek to destroy him. And he knows, as he stands in front of this man, if he heals him and forgives him, they're going to want to kill him. And knowing that, Jesus still signs his own death warrant. Jesus knows that free forgiveness is going to be costly to himself. The only way, in other words, to make this man's legs move is if Jesus' legs are made immovable, nailed to a cross. The only way to release this man from his sin is to bind this man's sin to the Savior. The two go together. So what's God like? 
God's like Jesus, and he sees people at their worst, and he loves them. He sees you at your worst, and he loves you. Did you ever see the, the movie The Fisher King? Robin Williams stars in The Fisher King, and Amanda Plummer and he are these two people who hate themselves, so they're really awkward uh, and then they get together, and they go out on a date, and they come back, and Robin Williams' character says, can I call you again? And she says to him, no, you can never see me again. Why, Robin Williams asks. And to paraphrase, she says, well, you know, by some weird accident, we got to the end of the first date, and you don't hate me yet, but you will. And I just can't handle that rejection. You'll hate me, and I don't want it. So thanks, but no thanks. And then Robin Williams turns right back at her and he says, I've been watching you. I know you're clumsy, and you knock everything over. I know you're down on yourself. I know you're horribly shy. I know you have no friends. I already know all this about you, and I still love you. So you see, I will never leave you. And she says to him, are you for real? And then it transforms her. It, it absolutely transforms her. This is a love that will never wear out. A love that knows everything about you already. It's a love that everybody's looking for. The kind of love the Bible describes is this. It is not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Jesus says to all of us tonight, you think you know what you really need. And Jesus says, you don't. You don't. Don't harden your heart against me, though. Be tender-hearted towards me. Ask me. I'll freely pardon you, and I will show you my love. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that you would uh, keep us from getting what our heart most desires if it is not you. I pray for the sake of my friends and for my own soul that you would restrain us from wanting anything more than Jesus and his mercy. And that you, uh, in your grace, would forgive our sin and restore to us the joy of our salvation. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's close in song on Jordan Stormy Bankside Stand.